1: Another big win for Oregon and Dan Lanning in week five, taking home a 42-6 to win over Stanford on the road. And we're breaking it down on today's episode of the Duck's Dish podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. We got a big episode for you today. We got a little recap and reaction action going on on a Monday morning. And I am joined by my good friend Spencer McLaughlin of the Locked on Ducks podcast as well as Locked on Pac-12. Big win for the Ducks, 42-6 to win over Stanford. And he's going to help me break this one down. How we doing, buddy?
2: We're doing well, better than the first quarter on Saturday, but all in all, it uh, is the end result we were kind of hoping for.
1: Yeah, that was a. I watched like a, mostly the first quarter. I wasn't able to watch the entire game, but I've since watched the highlights, so read the stats, listen to the pressers, and I'm I'm up to speed now. But uh, we got to talk about this one because Oregon went on the road for the second time this season, and uh, aside from that first quarter, Spencer, they really dominated this game i don't think that the halftime box score really told the whole story of the first half um it looked for a little bit like oregon kind of was going to get more than they could handle um or getting all they could handle rather from stanford really grinded out a ton of clock in that first quarter but seemed like they kind of settled in after that and then the second half they they just really just let it ride
2: I mean, I think they eventually woke up like the the first two drives being three and out against a defense that is horrendously bad that that's not what Oregon was uh hoping for in in that game so i I think Stanford is a long ways away from contending, though I think they're capable I, I think Troy Taylor's actually a pretty solid coach. their roster is just so so bad it's going to take a few years to kind of get the talent base up and Stanford might need to change their approach with regards to the transfer portal but I, I think they can be fine in the ACC. Ridiculous statement to have to make, but that's the one that we've got right now. So, uh, yeah, r- really uninspiring first quarter and change, really, for the Ducks. I don't think they scored until, what, like nine minutes to go in the second quarter? Ten, I mean, it was, you know, further into the second than you would have uh, 8-15. predicted. Yeah, 8.15 yeah, yeah. to go in the second quarter. So just about at the midway point uh, is when the Ducks first got on the board. And you got to give credit to Stanford for having a really smart game plan. Like, they were running down the play clock on every snap and they were running the football and they were just trying to keep it moving and limit Oregon's possessions. And, you know, that worked for a quarter and a half. And and then eventually I think Oregon kind of realized, Hey, we're, we're not, we're not losing this football game. We're going to win this game really, really big. We got to wake up and we got to have some energy. They just, they just needed that spark. You know, it reminds me of a lot of golf rounds I have where, you know, I come out and I sleepwalk through the first four holes and then I either, you know, relax or more often get really ticked off. And then I focus at a high level and then I play well for the next 14. I'm like, well, where was that in the first four? Like if we just done that from the start, this would have looked and felt completely different, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it's hard. We've seen teams uh, over the last couple of years fail to get up for games on the farm with Stanford right now. Cause if they're not good, their fans aren't really showing up in a big way. So there's no ambiance. There's no environment and you know that they're bad. So uh, Oregon able to avoid the letdown that they had in 2021 and, and come back and win the game the way they should. And, dominant fashion and uh you know i think it was really led by the defense to to not allow a touchdown in the early portion of the game and just keep holding them to field goals and then hold them without points after uh that field goal early in in the second quarter love the way the defense played and uh the offense once they got things going looked uh, how, how they should
1: so while the ducks took a little bit to wake up i think that's a good way to put it Uh, that you had there took a little while to wake up against Stanford. You, you still have a dominant second half and uh, oddly enough, 42 to six for the second straight week after a a win over Colorado the week prior. But Spencer, I think some fans maybe exit this game with a little bit more to be desired because now you're in your bye week or your work week as Dan Lanning put it after the game. That's not going to fly on Montlake. That's not going to work against the Huskies in week seven. So I think um, we were texting about it a little bit earlier this season. You know, I was asking you, is Oregon a fast start team? And you said so far they have been, but a little bit of a a speed bump, I guess you could say, even in a 42-6 to win. So I think that's definitely got to be an area where Oregon comes prepared uh, and tries to really work on as much as you can in practice this week because – that was a pretty you know lame atmosphere on the farm my, my mom was there I had some other friends that were there and they said it was more Oregon fans than Stanford fans but it's it's gonna be a crazy atmosphere over there in Seattle so that's not gonna fly in week seven
2: it's not I also don't expect Oregon to come out the way they did against Stanford which was just kind of you know I think knowing that they're the better team which they are that they're going to win the football game and um, that that you just don't have any juice, right? Whether you're feeding off your home crowd at Otson that's fueling you every time you do something good, or whether you're trying to silence the crowd that's around you and all the smack talk, there, there's just none of that. Like there, there were no stakes on this game. It's a Pac-12 Network hideaway game of like at Oregon Stanford big line. Like that's not you know, what it uh, once was back in the early 2010s when Oregon-Stanford was like, that's one of the biggest games of the season. It's uh, a little bit different right now, a lot different. In fact, the polar opposite of what it used to be. So I I, I think I'll attribute it to that. You know, we'll know for sure because Oregon did start kind of slow against Texas Tech. You know, they went down and the offense had a couple first downs, but then they stalled and uh, Bo Nix kind of I think was still getting comfortable behind the offensive line. He In that Texas Tech game, he had Tez Johnson wide open on a third down, but he kind of hitched backwards and threw off his back foot. And I think that was just a matter of expecting pressure when it wasn't actually there or thinking he was going to see it uh, when he didn't. And so, you know, they got off to a slow start there. Then the defense allowed a big run to Tyler Shuck on third and four, and we're down 7 nothing before, you know, you can really get things going. But then Oregon gets a, gets it a going once again and uh, the long touchdown to Troy Franklin and they, and they responded there. And um, I, I'm not that worried about it because I think that Texas Tech was just a better team than Stanford, whereas this was more environment-driven when you're talking about the slow start that they had. And um, I, I think the Ducks are not going to lack for energy and drive when they go to Seattle on October 14th in what is uh, quite frankly going to be the biggest game Oregon plays this season, most likely. USC is going to be in the mix as well. But, I mean, from a, a rivalry standpoint, implication standpoint, I mean, this is easily going to be Oregon's biggest game of, of the season. And, uh, boy, it's it, it's going to be a hotly contested one.
1: So, Oregon was able to get going against Stanford. Better late than never, right? I think you ultimately feel good coming out of this game, especially if you're Dan Lanning, because yeah. you didn't meet the standard on the road uh, in Week 2 against Lubbock. But I think you definitely delivered a much more complete game, Despite the slow start, defense was kind of the talk of the day. Um, Bo Nix was Bo Nix, uh, 290 yards and four touchdowns. The, the offensive line did a great job keeping him upright. Another game without a sack, so so that's great. Um, and then another game with, a, I, maybe I shouldn't say another, but rather a game with very few penalties. Just two penalties for the Ducks, very clean, very sound. Loved how they defended uh, the the RPOs that Stanford was deploying against them. And and Bo Nix really kind of spread the wealth on offense. So there's a lot of different directions we can go as we kind of break this game down. Um, I always like starting on offense, but you're helping me out on my show today. So I'll let you kind of see where we go.
2: Yeah. Uh, and by the way, just a quick stat that I was uh, double checking a moment ago. Did you know that Oregon is 5-0 and against the spread so far this year?
1: did not know
2: that they were they won by 74 against Portland State. I've never seen a 74 point line. I know the line was big, but Oregon covered. They were six and a half point favorites against Tech. A lot of people would say, hey, shout out Jeffrey Bassa for that l- late game pick six to uh, to get the win and cover. And then they were, I think, somewhere in the 35 point range against Hawaii. They won by over 40 It might have been for it, but they uh, they covered there. 21 against Colorado covered that 27 and a half against Stanford covered that uh, as well so uh, if people have been betting on the ducks just as a side note they have been uh, most successful <laughs> this season winning each of the last five games and I think what that tells you is that you know Oregon is capable of being really good and we have seen them at their best be a very good football team I think offensively I didn't have that many questions coming into the year i I still have one lingering one that I was asking during the offseason which was, You know, is this offensive line going to be as good as last year? In pass protection, that answer appears to be mostly yes. I think they're about 90% of what they were last year. Bo Nix has been sacked twice through five games. I think he was sacked once in the first seven or eight last year. But, I mean, those numbers are so small. Like, pressure on Bo Nix is not a problem. It has not been a problem in any of the games uh, with any amount of consistency to the point where it's slowing down the offense. So, I don't worry about that. I do still look at the run blocking and say, okay, you ran the ball well against Stanford, bad defense, and Colorado, bad defense, Portland State and Hawaii, inferior opponents, and then Texas Tech is the game where they struggled the most, and I think that's the best front seven they've gone up against by far. And then early in the game against Stanford, you saw those same sorts of problems where Bucky Irving and Jordan James didn't really have anywhere to go, but then they certainly got into the rhythm. So the team is capable of running the football, but it's just going to be a different test against Washington I think in pass protection even against a great front four they'll hold up just fine but I, I think a big key for the Ducks offensively is going to be hey how, how are they able to run the football because if you remember last year you know the defense let Oregon down against Washington is the reason that they they ended up losing the game the offense put up 34 points and a lot of those yards came on the ground if you remember Max Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington like just couldn't be tackled Washington could not consistently get them on the ground And they were breaking big runs. So uh, that's the way they had success last year. I think Bo Nix is, you know, somehow even perhaps better than what he was a season ago. But he looks really, really good. And I think you can rely on him at some level. But it's not like a Washington offense where they're, you know, going to throw for 400 yards and run for 70 to 100. Like Oregon still needs to be running for 150 to 200 yards a game to be at their best offensively. So I, I think that's a question that I've still got. But, you know, overall, we know these backs are dynamic. They're explosive. Jordan James looks great. I mean, he looks absolutely fantastic, and we know what Bucky Irving's capable of, and we'll see if Whittington's healthy come Washington time.
1: Bo Nix is Bo Nix. We don't need to say too much. I mean, he's just doing his thing. Love the job the offensive line's doing. And, and to your point on them, Spencer, I think one of the encouraging signs that I've seen from them, perhaps in run blocking specifically, it's just their progression to that second and even sometimes third level of the defense. I think a lot of the times when I'm watching the tape on these guys, you're just seeing blocks that maybe aren't, um, you know, they're not orchestrated. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Like, they're just doing a good job getting a hat on a hat. Um, you know, someone's looking for a guy to, you know, the offensive line is looking for a guy to, to get their hands on. And, and I feel like they're doing a great job of that. Um, I think about Bo Nix's touchdown run uh, against, um, against Colorado where Dave Ayuli, did a great job, you know, just getting his hands on a guy. And then I love the job. I think one of the things that we have to give praise for is the tight ends blocking on the in the run game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Patrick Herbert and Terrence Ferguson have done a phenomenal job Herbert's there. been
2: really good. Like, we, we big- knew what T-Ferg was. We saw that last year. And I think he's off to the NFL after this season. But Her- Herbert looks the best he has been so far as a duck.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I'm really glad that we got to see a, a little bit more from those guys against Stanford. Uh, Terrence Ferguson obviously had the the touchdown grab, which was great, um, and then Patrick Herbert only got targeted once, but, hey, he caught it, so so that's good. Um, and then, yeah, just as far as the, the running game goes, um, I'm not really super concerned about the blocking. I think that they're just continuing to get better with each week that they play together. Um, Bucky Irving continued to do his thing. Jordan James only recorded six carries, uh, against stanford but he still looked good they combined for about 175 yards on the yeah, ground james
2: had uh six carries for 88 yards and it's not like it was a 60 yarder goosing the stats it was just every carry was like 10 15 30 yards just all lanes. all over big the place lanes. there were there were big big lanes there like i said it took them a while to find their footing but once they did offensively uh they, they had places to run and, and jordan james looks explosive
1: yeah, he's the real deal. I mean, I, I was really um, hearing a lot of good things about him after the Ducks flipped him from Georgia, coming out of the state of Tennessee. We know that Carlos Lachlan loves recruiting guys from that uh, SEC footprint um, out there in the South, and Jordan James continues to deliver. Um, maybe worth mentioning that Jaden Lamar and Dante Dowdell both played, and they're now up to four games. So their, their next one will be their fifth, and that will effectively burn the red shirt, at least for mm. the, the freshman year. So that's something to keep an eye on, especially as we monitor Noah Whittington's health going into week seven against Washington. But I don't think- Can can, can I
2: touch on that for just a second? Sure. So with, with Lamar and Dowdell, I think with the trio of running backs that are ahead of them this season, how likely do we think it is? Jordan James has to come back, right? So you know that he's going to be there at the very least. But how likely does it seem that both Irving and Whittington- would go to the NFL knowing that in all likelihood, Lamar and Dowdell probably burn their red shirts this
0: season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the Lifelock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com/slash aware. Like if you're if you're if you're an Oregon staff, that's something that you have to consider. Like you're focusing on the opponent, of course, but you also are aware. Like Dan Lanning, Carlos Lachlan, all these guys know the snap counts that players have, have and whether or not they are, they want to burn the red shirt and whatnot. I I wonder and maybe they don't know, maybe they feel good about whether they'd be able to bring somebody in uh, from the portal or what they'll, what they'll get from the high school ranks or anything like that. But I, I just wonder if those guys having, you know, set themselves up to essentially burn their red shirts. Doesn't mean the staff knows one of Irving or Whittington are coming back for, for a final season. Just a th- just the thought I had.
1: No, for sure. I think that's um, it's a, it's a definitely a legitimate question. I think that it's, pretty much said and done that Bucky is going to be heading to the NFL. I feel like Noah Whittington is, is a little bit more of a question mark, not in terms of whether or not he's an NFL talent. Clearly, I think he's proven that to this point in his Oregon career, even though it's only been one year um, and some change after coming over from Western Kentucky. But I think that he's going to kind of have to play out the rest of the season and then get eval- you know, get get some of the, the draft feedback um, headed into that. But I think as far as it concerns Dowdell and Lamar, I think both of those guys – it's not a stretch to think, especially if Noah's not healthy, um, that they they both end up burning their red shirts this year. But it's it's not that big of a deal. I think at least one of them burns their red shirt. I think that's looking more likely right now. Um, but, you know, it's like Dan Lanning says, if you're old, if you're good enough, you're old enough, as cliche as it's sounding. But they both look really talented. I think that Lamar is the more versatile of the two, whereas Dowdell is more of that true power back. But they're both really talented, and I think that that's – that's one of the, we'll get an answer, you know, before too long, right? You know, once that Washington game comes around, I think we'll get a better idea of what's ultimately going to happen with them.
2: Probably. Yeah. I, I think against the Huskies, it'll be a heavy dose of Irving and James. And, you know, it looks like Lamar's ahead of Dowdell on uh, the depth chart at this point in, uh, in the season. And if they feel like they need to go to a third running back, it'd probably be Jaden Lamar. But I, I think, Against Washington, it's going to be Bucky Irving and Jordan James and Whittington if he's healthy. Otherwise, I think they'll just go with the top two because those two true freshmen, I mean, that's just such a big spot to put them in and everything you have to deal with as a running back, not just, you know, taking shots on the road and dealing with the crowd noise and everything, but pass protection and catching the ball out of the backfield and everything like that. I I think I think Bucky and, and Jordan will be playing a lot.
1: Totally agree. Let's shift gears here a little bit, Spencer, and talk about that defense from Oregon on Saturday. Five sacks from the Ducks' defense, uh, and they've already actually tied their mark from a season ago. I think we were talking about it yeah. the last time we spoke uh, on 18 the podcast.
2: Sacks, 18 sacks through five games. They had 18 in 13 games last year.
1: It's, it's crazy. It's just a huge—it's another stat— that I think demonstrates the kind of leap that this defense has taken from year one to year two with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy. Um I spoke last week with you, I think, just about how this is a big statement, I think, for Tosh Lapoy, We all knew he was a great recruiter, but the on-field product was kind of leaving a little bit to be desired, I think it's fair to say. But the defense did a phenomenal job against Stanford. Um, I was talking to somebody this morning just about how they – uh how they did a really good job defending that RPO and and how difficult it is. You know, just guys have to be communicating in the right spot at the right time. I think that it was a great statement that Oregon has the right dudes on their defense now in 2023. And you're getting really good contributions from a lot of these new guys, Jordan Birch and Evan Williams. Evan Williams has been phenomenal Mm -hmm. as a pass rusher, notching another sack against Stanford. So there, there's really so He's many, fast. so many good, good things you could say about this game. Um, but I think Evan Williams and Jordan Burch are definitely some of the standout guys for me.
2: Yeah, I, I love what I'm saying defensively. How could you not? I, I mean, really, aside from the Texas Tech game, which had a lot of great moments from the defense, lest we forget the game-clinching pick six or one of the other three turnovers plus a fourth down stop the defense made in that game. They were sloppy. We remember that. And I think that if Oregon had, you know, been a little bit more tight with their penalties, they would have had a much better defensive performance. I think my game prediction was 34-24. Uh, I thought they would win. It ended up being 38-30, so I was kind of in the right range. But I think the reason that you know, one not not a, well, technically I have to say I think because I can't say for certain. But if Kyrie Jackson doesn't commit that pass interference on third and 18. I am pretty convinced that we get the ball back, go down, get at least a field goal, go up 18 to seven, and the game is very different. Instead, that leads to a touchdown, and I, I think that that six-point drive for the Red Raiders w- was because of the penalties. I think they got help in other areas as well. I, I think penalties cost the Oregon defense seven to ten points. And do you know how many penalty yards off the top of their head, off the top of your head, Stanford uh, or Oregon had against Stanford on Saturday?
1: Uh, not off the top of my head. I do have the stats two, here. So I can look two for
2: 20 yards in the game. That's 100 fewer penalty yards, 104 to be exact, than they had against Texas Tech. So that element is improving, and it's something I was watching for going into this game is, hey, mm-hmm. if you cut down on the penalties, this defense is even better. And they still had a lot against Colorado, but they got better here against Stanford. And if that continues going forward, I mean, the talent depth – uh and blend of experience that they've got in there i think is really good and you know the red raiders game was far from perfect but still they came through in big moments and and since that game max i don't i literally do not think oregon's defense can have played any better over the last three games the starters haven't given up a touchdown in the last 11 quarters of football they've played that's an insane stat i don't care who you're going up against portland state scored on their opening drive against the starting defense for the Ducks. They didn't score after that. So we've seen adjustments, not just over the course of games, but over the course of the season, the sorts of adjustments, particularly in games that were, you know, lacking in those two defensive lapses in 2022. And, you know, they've got their biggest test of the season, but I I feel good about where Oregon's defense is at. I feel better about it than last year's unit and what they were putting on the field, you know, even before they played a lot of big games. They had some good defensive moments, but I don't think they looked anything like this. They are uh faster. They are, I think, a little bit more aggressive with with their blitzes and their coverage style. I think we're not seeing as much soft zone coverage as as we did a, a season ago. And, you know, Oregon definitely, by the way, needs Kyrie Jackson to be okay because he's gonna have to match up with Roma Dunze. That like that's Jaleel Florence is awesome. He's a true sophomore and uh looks outstanding and i i like oregon secondary a lot but i would really really love for kyrie jackson to be available against roma dunze and you know hopefully after after the bye week he will be i i just i look at this defensive unit and say man i i think scheme i think play calling execution tackling physicality it's all better than what it was a year ago
1: Ducks are improving in in some really key areas that you mentioned there, Spencer, the, the tackling is great. Just thinking of all the arm tackles that we saw a year ago, the, the penalties, I think you can draw a lot from, from that improvement. Dan Lanning was talking about how uh, they're going to be doing less up downs this week following, um, you know, following their improved performance against Stanford in that regard. So the discipline is definitely kind of settling in, um, and I think it's just guys that know where they're supposed to be. Their execution is trending upward. So I think exiting the Stanford game, you're seeing all the right things from your defense. You're seeing the improved pass rush. You're seeing uh, a great run, run defense as well. And I think that the Kyrie Jackson point is super notable. Dan Lanning was asked about him post-game and said that he didn't really have anything else. We also didn't see a shocker. whole lot. We also, yes, huge shocker. We also see, didn't see a whole lot of Popo Amavai. Um, he did play in the game, but um, didn't record a ton of snaps from from my understanding. So you figure that's another key guy that you're going to need to see a lot of. But I think it was worth mentioning, Spencer, that even when Kyrie Jackson, um, again, I mean, I don't want to be inaccurate because I didn't watch the entire game, but once he exited, I believe he exited, um, you have guys that you can turn to like Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning, who have played a lot of ball. And like we've talked about before, our starting caliber corners for your team. And then to look in the trenches, Taki Taimani, I thought looked great. Oh, uh, dude, Taki playing so, there's just so well. So little drop off, especially along the D line. And I think that's exactly where you want to be. If you're going to have question marks like this, uh, as it pertains to Popo and Kyrie's health, maybe we'll get an update tonight on Monday when Dan talks to reporters.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, defensively Oregon has been really really good and the defensive line is kind of where it all starts up front because when you when you look at what Oregon has done defensively this year and Lanning I think has talked about it that the 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 secondary is playing well but the the secondary is also playing well why because they they don't have to cover for as long they can be a little bit more aggressive because they know that there's going to be pressure on on the quarterback and I was just pulling up the PFF grades, uh, which are not everything, but I think can tell you uh, they can be a good indicator of where guys are at right now. Taki Taimani grades as a top 25 interior defender in all of college football this season. And that tracks with what I've seen. He has made some big impact plays, the likes of which, you know, were kind of fleeting from him last year. Like he, he saw a couple moments, but I didn't see anything like this. He's taken a big step forward for the Ducks and uh, you know his run defense grade is almost a 90 right now, which is insane. That is that is insanely high and it, it takes a lot to to have that sort of grade. It's actually the fourth highest in uh in the country. So uh, I think that he's been outstanding. We know Rogers is good. Popo when he plays is great. Brandon Dorless, did you see that sack he had on the fourth down late in the game? oh just flew in there i mean guys who are able to line up as a defensive tackle shouldn't be that explosive but Dorless is he he's he's just built like that and he is you know such a great piece to have had back from last year's defense and i i think looks even better than last season like that's an nfl guy and and that's kind of where you need to look at from a defensive standpoint for the ducks is like well you know, the best defense Oregon's had had a bunch of defensive players on it who made the NFL or are still playing in the NFL. Kayvon Thibodeau, yeah, the top top five pick in the draft. Javon Holland, yeah, he's on the Dolphins. He's really, really good. Diamador Lenore, yeah, starts for um, Niners, the San Francisco baby. 49ers, yeah. I know you're a big Niners guy. My Seahawks, I need them to win tonight against the Giants because I got a couple of Giants fans I know, and I can't. I can't, Can't I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that sort of smack talk. Not when we're playing Daniel freaking Jones on Monday night football. So I I just look around and say, boy, I'm I'm starting to see defensive players that are looking like NFL caliber guys next year or the year after. And I I think that they are just continuing to play really, really well. And, and the defensive front is kind of where it's all started. Like that's the biggest change from Oregon's team uh, compared to a season ago defensively is, is how well the defensive line plays. And the craziest thing about it is that it's not even like
1: it was a bad group last year. Like so many of them came back mm-hmm. and they're just playing at such a high level. So the execution is there. I think Jordan Birch, you're, you're really starting to see more of, you know, why he came to Oregon. I'm like, Dan Lane, you just got to be watching this tape. Like, yeah, dude, that's, that's why I wanted you to come be a part of this defense because that's what elite defensive linemen look like. And again, they haven't played amazing teams yet. So we kind of have to temper expectations a little bit, right? Pump the brakes a little bit, but he looks good. And that's all you can ask for. Um, I want to hit a little bit more, Spencer, on Evan Williams because I yep. think he yeah, is going to going to play a really big role um, in the direction that this defense is headed. You just see that I love the exotic pressures and blitzes that they're, they're dialing up. Um, another strong game from Tosh Lapoy or Dan Landing. We don't know who's calling the, the defense right now, but either way. could be way, Chris
2: Hampton for all we know.
1: It could be, yeah, co-defensive co- coordinator. But whether you're looking at Evan Williams or, or Kyrie Jackson or Nico Reed, I think, came off the edge a little bit in that one. I think Evan Williams' progression is, is a really key thing to hit on here because I don't want to say Swiss Army Knife type of a deal, but he is incredibly versatile, and I think he's kind of doing all the right things in terms of what you're asking from him for this defense and showing why he's an impact transfer.
2: Yeah, he is. And um, he, he struggled against Texas tech, by the way, he didn't play against Portland state. So the red Raiders was his first game of the year and he did not have a good game. Like just by any objective measure, he had a bad run fill on the Tyler Shuck long quarterback run. He had uh, he and tri quest bridges, both had a blown coverage assignment on a third down and long. He didn't really make a bunch of impact plays. Like he didn't have a good game since then, Max, Evan Williams looks like a dude. I, I mean, we haven't seen him make a play on the back end yet because really the ball isn't getting thrown downfield on this uh, Oregon defense so far. But, you know, his, his overall PFF grade is 75.4. In the Texas Tech game, it was like 36. It was like 35-36. So that's how well he's played in the three games since. And the biggest reason is the pass rush. Like, Like when he comes on a blitz, he is there so quickly. He's laying the lumber and you know what I've liked about what I've seen from the secondary getting after the quarterback Max is it feels like the success rate of when the blitzes are called from a defensive back is so high. It feels like it's really really high. And that is a that is a credit to the entire defensive staff. Landing Poi Hampton, those are your top 3 defensive coaches in order and they are all clearly on the same page right now with hey let's bring a corner blitz hey let's throw a safety in there hey let's rush six hey whatever it is and they're generating free rushers i mean evan williams came up the middle because i think it was jamal hill just blasted i mean just absolutely harpooned a running back coming up the middle first that paved the way for evan williams and the speed is so high from guys like evan williams or tysheem johnson as well or kyrie jackson who had a sack that they're able to exploit the lanes created by the pressure concepts they're designing. And I think they're just doing a great job overall as a staff with, you know, when to dial those up and the execution has been there and they've got the personnel, I think to match it.
1: They definitely, definitely do. Uh, One more quick point. I want to hit on Spencer, but then I'll get you out of here. Um, You know, kind of operating in tandem with this improved performance and execution from the defense is the depth I think just the the rotation that we've seen from Oregon so far this season is great because we know they haven't hit the meat of their schedule yet. But so many guys have seen the field, which I think is really, really important. You're having guys like Jake Shipley and Marion Winston seeing a lot of playing time. I don't think they're necessarily projected to be massive contributors, but you might need them if something pops up. And another point too here, Spencer, we still haven't seen Justin Jacobs. Do you want to break <laughs> him in against the top 10 team in, in Washington? I'm not so sure, but I think he was billed as one of the top transfer portal additions for this team going into the season. We still haven't seen him. We don't know what it's going to necessarily look like, but it, I think it just drives him the point that this defense could still, and still is getting better.
2: Yeah. And, and I think that that's a piece I'm curious to see. I mean, Props to Bryce Betcher. I, I mean, that guy has stepped Beast. in. Nobody had him, myself included, on on their radar as, you know, a regular player at the linebacker position. Like, that that just hasn't been – let me pull up the snap count real quick because I've been interested to see how, you know, he's played versus Connor Soli. And guess what? If, if he's uh, out-snapped Soli, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, Soli's been solid. He's put up a lot of quiet numbers this year. But, I mean – I, I just look at Betcher and I'm like, guy, guy seems to be making plays, kind of all over the place. Yeah, he's way out snapping. Uh, Sully's only had 26 or uh, 47 snaps this year. Betcher's at 118. Devin Jackson 111, and and then Jamal Hill with 158 and Jeff Boss at 214. So, uh, but pretty clear who the top four linebackers are. I think the pairings have been Hill and Jackson, and then Betcher and Bossa. And in that 4 two, 5 I see him kind of do a hockey line change with, hey, you two go in. Hey, these two go in. And I think that what you have there is kind of a nice balance in each of those pairings. You know, Betcher is, uh, I think, a little bit smaller than than Jeffrey Basu who bulked up a lot this year. I mean, Betcher was playing safety in the in the spring game. And then between Jamal Hill and Devin Jackson, I think Hill is a little bit bigger and Jackson's a little bit faster. And uh I, I think that you've gotten good production out of out of that unit so far this season. And I don't know where Justin Jacobs fits in, but if if he's you know the most gifted of the bunch, which he could be, then it, it seems like there's only, you know, more room to grow for the Oregon defense. I don't think a ton. Uh, I mean, you can certainly do uh, better, I guess, at the linebacker spot. But, I mean, what like, what, what's what been their big mistake this year? Like, Oregon's good against the run. They've blitzed well. They've had sacks. They're making tackles in space. That Jamal Hill tackle on third down on the speed option play to get Casey Filkins on the ground, I mean, that that's – that's as good a play as you're going to make from a linebacker to come up with a stop on third and one so I, I just i love the way that they're they're being aggressive as well i feel like their first step is is forward instead of back to kind of take away some of those running lanes they look like they're just so sound in their assignments and trusting what they need to be doing and trust in the coaching staff that they're being put in the right positions and trust in their instincts as well it, it's been really really fun to watch so far
1: really what it boils down to is this I think on both sides of the ball, you couldn't really ask to be in a much better spot heading into this Washington game. Not um, much, no. And, and you haven't played phenomenal teams, but you can't do anything about that. All you can do is play the guys in front yep. of you. So I think while it's great where they're at, you know, I, I'm not necessarily saying pump the brakes, but, you know, don't don't be too over the moon about it, right? I think that's the the way I would kind of leave it. But Spencer, uh, before we get you out of here, where can people find more of you and the work you have going on in the space?
2: I'm on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55, and I host Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's been quite the season so far, and the best is yet to come. Hopefully that's uh, the case on the field for the Ducks as well. But boy, two weeks to get ready for the Washington game. It is going to be something else.
1: It's going to be a fun one. No doubt about it. I was telling Spencer that I just booked my tickets to the Cal and USC games. So that's going to be sick. Cannot wait to be back in Eugene, but uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you want to find more of me important to lock in with me on social media, I'm at M sports on both Twitter and Instagram subscribe to my YouTube channel. Hit the like button while you're at it at Oregon football, Max Taurus, and then read all my stuff over on DucksDigest.com. Huge. Thank you to Spencer for coming on.
0: Who get it done?